0: Tr- this is a long, long sermon I got this morning, but some of y'all need to say thank God that finally last night God said break this thing up into two, <laughs> and uh, so I did, and so this morning you're getting part A, and next, uh, and next Sunday you're going to get part B of I want to know what's next, and I knew this early this week, I said, man, there's way too much stuff here, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to, how can I get through this, how can I get through this, get all this said, because here, here's the thing I know. It's, it's like, if you tell somebody something one week, it's hard for you to expect them to receive it and, and hang on to it the next week a lot of times. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of people, they don't, even, they don't even retain the stuff from last Sunday's message. Last Sunday's message, this sermon builds on last Sunday's message. I mean, there are so many things that Britt would say just a few moments ago. I wanted to say amen, amen. I mean, that's what we're preaching right now. I mean, he was, he was talking about, you know, last week what he was talking about. He was talking about, you know, this is not the end of it. Take it out there with you. I mean, that's what we preach. Don't log God up in your, in your worship time. Don't log him up and say, I'll be back next Sunday. Take him with you. I mean, there's so much from last week, you know, of not, and I'll try not to say too much, but here, here's what I want to say with this. Last, last Sunday... And this Sunday and next Sunday are three of the most important messages, probably the three most important messages you will hear this year about where we're going is 29 11. So if you missed last Sunday, go to the podcast, listen to it. And if something happens, please be here next week to hear the end of this. But if something happens, you get sick, you cannot be here, go to the podcast and hear it next Sunday. These three messages are are so important and you need to catch them. And I know I know what'll happen is there'll be some people that will miss next Sunday, or there'll be some people that are missing today and they'll be here next Sunday and they won't get this setup of how and why we expect God to do great and big and awesome things. Okay? So please do that if you can. Let's have a word of prayer and let's get into this message this morning. Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for God, showing up again today in our worship, Lord, and letting us, God, just be intimate with you today. God, I thank you for that. I pray, God, as we, as we study you, you let us t- uh, just connect with you there, God. As we, we uh, connect with your body today, Lord, here in uh, the body of Christ, the church, Lord, we, we thank you, God, for all these opportunities. And pray, God, that you just, today, God, you help, God, you encourage us. God, that you, you give us vision, that you give us an anticipation of looking into the tomorrow and seeing what you may do, God, what you want to do, what you have chosen to do, God, that we would have an anticipation of that, God, and believe that you have have even greater things ahead of us, God, than what you've already done for us, amazing things that you've done already, God, but great things, greater things, God, in the future. I pray that in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Everybody knows what an oxymoron is, right? Right Two words now I, I looked up a, devo- a, a definition and, and i couldn 't find a definition, that said exactly what I, so I kind of wrote my own, but I, I, I kind of edited what others did okay but here 's my, my definition of an oxymoron' it's a figure of speech in which contradictory terms are used to describe the indescribable that 's one of the things I threw in there because that 's an oxymoron, right describing the indescribable you can 't do that it 's an oxymoron it two, that's two s two contradictory words right there okay and uh, I wanted to write it that way because I wanted you to see. Sometimes it's just, it's just kind of tough to explain things. Now, oxymoron sometimes, I believe sometimes writers coin new oxymorons just, just to be funny, you know, like adult male. I mean, th- is that funny, guys? I mean, guys, is that funny? Yeah, it is to me because, you know, I didn't want to grow up anyway, you know, so I'm good, right? <laughs> you know, uh, so sometimes we coin them just to be funny. But, you know, here's the, main, here's the reason really I think for most oxymorons is right here is sometimes the human language is just incapable of describing something. And it's something that you know that you've got in your, mi- in, in your mind and you just can't get it out your mouth and, and you're just running through all these other uh, phrases and words and, and sometimes you'll put two together that really everybody else says, those two don't go together, that's an oxymoron. You'll say, no, they do go together because these two things they explain because it's deeper than I can say it. Anybody ever have a hard time describing what you're thinking? Saying it out loud. And I think that's the way a lot of oxymorons come up, I believe. And I think a lot of them happen when we try to describe God. Did you hear, did, did hear Britton praying just a few moments ago? Man, he started, and when he said Yahweh, I thought, man, think about it. Go back into the scripture. How many, how many names are there of God in the Bible? You know why? Because you can't describe him. You can't, not, even, not even with all the names that we have in the Bible. All the Yah- uh, Yahwehs and Yeshuas and, and, you know, and all the Jehovah Nisi's and uh, and you, you can't describe him with all those names. It's impossible. Uh, let me show you. First John chapter 5, verse 7. This is an oxymoronic verse. It says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Oxymoron. That, that last phrase, these three are one. I mean, no, you, you can't do that, can you? I mean, we can have three or you can have one, but three ain't one. You know, all of our life we've been told one plus two is three, right? One plus two is three. One plus two is not one. I mean, three, three is three, and one is one, and three can't be one. And I don't. I know some of you say, you know, even that word Trinity. In a way, Trinity is it, it's it's like an oxymoron, in the same way because it, what what it means is three and one. And you can explain it to me any way you want to explain it to me. I mean, I've had people that explain it to me like a, a, a good cherry pie. You know, they said you got you got three parts of a good cherry pie. You know, but you you know. You cut it up, you're going to give it to three different people. So you cut it into three pieces, you know, And then as soon, but as soon as you run that knife through that hot cherry goodness inside of there, you know, as soon as the knife comes through, it just all kind of goes back together. And even though it looks like three on the outside, it's still one on the inside. And I said, well, you know, that's cute, but that's still not exactly what God means when he says that these three are one. I don't understand the Trinity. I will never understand the Trinity. You know why? Because God is above my understanding, and he is way above my ability to describe him. And so I might use words all day long to try and describe God, and I will never get there. And so that's why sometimes we've got these oxymorons. It's because we're, we're, we're trying to describe who God is. And sometimes, I think we struggle, we struggle this way, and, and, and this goes back to last Sunday's sermon uh, about these, these rooms. And, and so. You know, here's, here's one of the problems if you find your favorite room. And now I don't have time to re-preach that message, so if you didn't hear it the last week, please go listen to the podcast. But here's one of the problems if we find our favorite room and we only deal with God in that room. You know what? We're not even getting the understanding that everybody else is getting that are going to the other rooms. I mean, if your understanding of God is a God that, that loves your worship, that's a great understanding of God. But you know what? It's only about this much of Him. And if your understanding is a God that God wants to connect with you and, and, and He wants to be your Abba Father and you crawl up in His lap and hug on Him and, and an, He's going to answer all your needs, that's a great... But that's another... I mean, there's so much of God, if we find our rooms... If your, your understanding of God is a God that He, he wants you to dig into the Word and, and, to, and to draw out every single little detail of every... You know, exegete all those scriptures and pull them apart. and, and, and if, That's a great understanding of God. That's a way... But you know what? Every one of these things are only parts of Him. You and I, if, if God were to reveal His awesomeness to us, our minds would explode. I mean, we could, we could not hold that. And there's no way that we can understand that and say it with our mouth. And that's sometimes why we preachers get a little long-winded. Because we still, you know, 30 minutes later, we're still trying to describe what God's talking about here. Because it's not just God, it's God's ways. You know, like faith. You all know what faith is? Try to describe it. You know, Paul did in Hebrews, you remember what he said? He said, faith is, is a substance of things hoped for. Okay, there's an oxymoronic phrase right there. Substance of things hoped for. So it's a hope for substance. I mean, it's either substance or it's... I mean, how do you have both? I mean, you know, it's substance, but it's something I don't have yet, so it's not substance yet. I mean, how do you have both? Or, or evidence of things not seen. So it's not seen evidence. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you describe... You can't describe these things. Jesus... He gave us one in Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20, when he said the first will be last, and the last will be first. You know? Now, you've probably got an idea of what he meant here, but, but think about what our language says. First is last, and last is first. So wait, that, that doesn't com- compute. Because some of us are thinking that what God is saying It's kind of like the Olympics are going to be held later this year, you know, the summer Olympics, that what God is saying is, okay, let's turn this thing around, and so whoever loses the race, you know, let's put them up on the top and give them the gold medal. And Some people think that's what God's talking about. That's not what God's talking about, okay? But when we say first is last and last is first, that's what our our minds begin to think. But this is so much deeper than that, and God's basically saying something more along the lines of this, is he's saying that I resist the proud, what I want to do is I want to find somebody that is unbelievably following me, and I'm going to exalt them, and I'm going to make them number one. I'm going to make them the first, and I'm going to take the first. The people who are out there bragging about themselves, and I'm going to bring them down and make them be the last. I mean, you know, the way, that, the way of the world, though, is, you know, you ever heard anybody say, he who doesn't toot his own horn, his, toon, his horn won't get tooted, you know? I mean, that's, that's the way of the world today, right? Is that you got to brag on yourself. I mentioned, I mentioned Donald Trump a couple of times in the early service. I guess I mentioned him again right here, you know. I mean, he, you know, he's bragging on himself. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't mind that at all. You know, he doesn't care that people know he's got an ego. You know, when God says, I'm not, I'm not looking for people who are bragging about themselves. God says, I'm, I'm going to lift up who I want to lift up. You know who I'm going to lift up? He says, I'm going to lift up the humble. And I'm going to bring down those who aren't. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he, he, he says something really crazy. Yeah, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love, how many of y'all doing good with that one? How many of you love all your enemies? You know what? I, I thought I was doing really good with this. About six or eight years ago, we had we had some real estate agents that messed us up. You ain't got time for the whole story right here. Britain's already told you this is a long sermon. Uh, you ain't got time for the whole story, but they messed us up. I mean, I I am still making payments on the on the financial mess they made in our lives back six to eight years ago. And and you know, but you know what? You know, I got peace with it, and I forgave God. I forget. You know, I asked God to help me, and I forgave these real estate agents. I forgave them, or at least I thought I did until this week. And I drove by a for sale sign, and I saw one of their names on that for sale sign in somebody's yard. And you know what was beginning to well up within me? You know, this lady that I had forgiven several years ago. You know what was happening, and welling up within me. You know what was happening is I was wanting to speak a curse. Now, I know, I know that's, that's weird to you guys. The pastor's want to speak a curse. No, here's what I, I was wanting to say. I was wanting to pray a curse, okay? However you want to say it. But I was wanting to say, God, don't you let that house sell because that woman's name is. That's what I wanted to do. Come on, somebody. Y'all, y'all quit being holier than thou on me. Y'all, y'all understand what I'm talking about. God, don't you let that woman get any money. You don't know what that woman did to me, God. I had that start welling up within me, and the Holy Spirit checked me right there and said, you thought you forgave her, didn't you? Oh, you see, about, about four years ago, I guess it was, I was, in a, I was in a church service and God spoke to me and He said, This is over tonight. I said, Praise God, hallelujah. You know what I thought? I thought what He meant was I'm going to have to pay the rest of that. That ain't what He meant. I am still paying on that. You know what God meant? God was telling me in my heart, This has to be over tonight and you don't worry about the rest of it. He's, been, he's helped me make the payments. He's taking care of that. But God said, this is going to be over tonight. And so you know what I did? I, I, I thought that I forgave this lady until this past week or so, and I saw her name again. And I realized I had not forgiven. I but see, this is so foreign to us. And so when, when we think, love your enemies, you like, wait a minute, that's, that's almost oxymoronic, isn't it? I mean, because if I love my enemies, I, you know, that kind of you know, cancels the love, and the enemy kind of cancels out, doesn't it? Amen. That's the whole point. Love your enemies and cancel the enemy part out. He didn't, he didn't call us to be. You know, I had somebody the other day. They're not in this service. I'm so glad. If they listen to the podcast, they hear this. They're going to know I'm preaching about them this morning, though. I had somebody the other day. They said, they said I want you to tell me, tell me, preacher, was I rude? And they told me a little something that they did and whatever and whatever. You know what? You know what? When they got through, I said, well, no, you weren't rude. But you know, if that person shows up at church today and sits right next to you, they're gonna think, I ain't coming back to this church. You can you can still be right and be wrong. I know that's an oxymoron, right? In a little way. You can be right in the eyes of the world and still be wrong. And that's what he said, is we need to love our enemies. Cancel that out. That's what he's wanting to do. I mean, if you start loving your enemies, you won't have any more enemies. Thank God. God wants to get rid of your enemies, but he, he don't he don't want to do it the way you want him to. You know, he don't want to zap them all. He wants to do it through the love. And, and then earlier in, the, early in this chapter, let me show you some weird things that Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, not poor in money, but poor in spirit. The people who are poor in spirit, they, they own the kingdom of heaven? What oh, I meant, spirit and heaven, I thought those were kind of the same two things. I mean, that's, that's an oxymoronic declaration right here. And then he, later he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek are going to, uh-uh, look around you. Are the meek inheriting this earth? Not in this country. Is it the meek that are getting ahead? Is it the meek that, have, that own all the money and, you know, own all the stocks, own all the corporations? Oh, I think this is where Donald Trump came up in the early service. I mean, he's not meek. He makes no bones. He's not meek. They're not, but here's what Jesus is saying. It, they don't look like they're inheriting this earth, but they're going to inherit this earth. The meek are. And, here, oh, here's a big one right here. Blessed are you when people insult you. Anybody get insulted this week? Anybody? You're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. Do you feel blessed? <laughs> you're insulted uh, or, or persecute you or falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Anybody had anybody lie on them lately? You're blessed. How many of you feel blessed when somebody lies on you? How many, how many of you feel blessed when somebody persecutes you, somebody, somebody tells something on you? He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12 says, rejoice. Okay, wait a minute. Now, if they offended you because you were a jerk, don't rejoice. There's no blessing there. But if they did it because you're a Christian, he says rejoice. Because great is your reward in heaven. You see, when you start taking all these uh, these ideas of God and the way God does things, it is so foreign from everything else we do. To us, I mean, the whole thing is a big oxymoronic mess. But when you start really digging into it and realizing, you realize, wait a minute, there's something deeper here than words can describe. There's something deeper here. And so we have, we have, to, we have to believe deeper than the words can explain. I mean, that's what the whole Bible is. I mean, that's why, that's why, as I said last week, if you get in that study, if your thing is all about study, 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 the words on that page are not going to set you apart from your sin. The words on that page are not going to deliver you. you got to have the whole package of God. And what Jesus said is the words on that page don't save you. They point you to me. And you need to have a relationship not just with the Bible. You need to have a relationship with me because human words, even, even, even these words right here, I mean, these words right here, Jesus is trying to describe something to us that you and I, we still can't understand. And listen, I, I know God can do anything. Somebody say amen. You believe God can do anything? But God has a problem with one thing. He has a problem explaining things to me. But the problem's not on his end. It's on my end. But God has a problem explaining. Because when he uses words to explain things to me, I sometimes don't get it because words just cannot describe who he is, what he is, and what he wants to do. And that's part of, that, that's a big part of the setup of where we're trying to get to is it's when, it's when God starts speaking direction and wisdom to you and, and you start asking God to, to, to tell you something because I know what you want to do. I mean, some of you got a need today. You know, you just want to come down you just want to pray and you just want to say, God, just give me a yes or no answer. I mean, don't you hate it when you ask somebody a question and they say, well, it's like this. Don't ever, don't ever email or Facebook message me a question then if you don't like those kinds of answers. I mean, there are very few yes or no answers out there. You know why? It's because it's more than yes or no. God doesn't want a yes or no relationship with you. He doesn't want you to just show up, clock in for five minutes and pray a prayer. Okay, God, is it yes or no? And then you're done. God wants, rela- he wants to move in and make a home with you. That's what he said in the scripture we read last week. It's about more than a yes or no. And so when God is trying to explain all these things to us, we can't get it because we're just, we're just dealing with the words. Get a little deeper with him. Take some time. And he shares it in your spirit and you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is so much deeper than that. You know, one of my favorite oxymorons is constant change. You ever heard that one, constant change? Y'all, anybody living a life of constant change? I, I think it came from Isaac Asimov because he said, the only constant is change. That's an oxymoronic statement there. The only constant is change. Any of y'all ever gone through change in your life? Yeah? This morning? <laughs> yeah? Changes happen all the time, don't you? I remember, uh, my life was pretty much the same, uh, you know, even though I was growing up. For 18 years and 11 months, I got, got married kind of young. I was one month away from, yeah, David, David stole me right out of the cradle. I was, eight month, uh, I was one month away from 19 years old. She was younger than me, though, okay? So she's a lot, a lot younger than me, okay? I just want to cover myself right here, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, 18 years, almost 19 years, I lived in the exact same house all of those years. You know, I mean, it's the same house, exact same place, 19 years. And then I got married to David, and she's been moving me around the country ever since. That's the way I tell the story. And, you, you know, she can tell it when she's up here someday, okay? Well, we got married, you know what, and I thought about this, when we first got married, life didn't change a whole lot for us. Because, you know, before we got married, I was spending every single moment that I could over at her house trying to, you know, spend time with her. And so when we got married, you know, a lot of that didn't change. And we didn't have a whole lot of money, so we couldn't do a whole lot more than we did before, you know. So life didn't change a whole lot. But three and a half years later, we had our first son. We had our first child a son. His name was Brent. And let me tell you, life changed when Brent showed up in my house. And if you don't know Brent, I need to tell you some stories. Life changed. The next year was an even greater year, period of change. In that next 12 months after after Brent was born, uh, that next year, in 1984, we bought our first house. We had our second child, Kristen, who is uh, the, our kid's pastor here at 2911. And we also launched into ministry. We went into ministry in that year. Change, Lots of change happened. And I'll tell you something. As soon as you have kids, you know what? Things change, but things never get back to the same. You know, because once you have kids, you know, you kind you kind of you adjust your budget all those years. But once you have kids, you know, you never really cross anything out, you just replace stuff. I mean, because that line that you say diapers, now, you know, eventually, then it says school supplies. You know, you might, you know, you might start crossing it out and it becomes, you know, uh, uh, jeans, uh, designer jeans or designer tennis shoes that everybody else is wearing that my kids got to have, you know. And it just kind of changes, you know, like that and over and over. And, you know, and, then, and then you get into those teenage drama years. Anybody raised any teenagers? You know exactly what I'm talking, right? The drama years of teendom, you know. I mean, just the the drama of all that. And in the middle of our teenage drama years, our kids' teenage drama years, you know what we did? We moved to Chicago. Now imagine that. In the middle of all the teenage drama, we moved to Chicago, Alabama to Chicago. Yep, that was a big change. But four months into into that, David's dad had two strokes. And uh, she ended up spending, the last couple of months that we were in Chicago, she spent more time here than she did there. So we were only there about seven months because of her dad's sickness, we had to move back, and uh, that was more change. And a few months later, he passed away. That was the, the first and the, the only parent that we've lost at this point. That, but that was the first, and that, that was a lot of change. At the same time that was going on, things were still changing with my kids, you know. I mean, we were definitely into the, uh, into the, the auto accident and insurance premium rate increases era of the hand household. I mean, there was, a, there was a time it just seemed like that's, that's all we did is we had cars repaired. Uh, we even had we didn't have one time, but we had one car in the shop, and it belonged to somebody in the family. And I won't say who it is, but it's nobody that's here or downstairs, but it's somebody else. And, uh, and he, he had wrecked his car, and so he was driving my car, but he had to go by the, the auto shop to where they were working on the car, the body shop, to get something out of his car because he was on his way to school. And he called me and uh, told, me, told me that... Uh, that while he was there, that he, you know, he went and got it, and so he's backing out of the body shop, and he backed into a ten-foot deep ditch. Back, Michael, I showed up, and my car was sitting like this. So we had one in the body shop, and we had one in the ditch out in front of the body shop. I mean, that's the way it was, you know. And, and you know, and this week, I, I just got, okay, here's a little bit of true confession this morning with the pastor. I, I got a ticket this week, okay? I got a ticket. Okay, now I got to tell y'all what the ticket is because I don't want y'all thinking I'm just running around here, you know. Uh, Ignoring all the speed limits. I got a ticket for not using a turn signal while changing lanes. Has anybody ever even been stopped for that? I didn't even know they'd stop you for that. But I got a ticket for it. Now, and I, so I, t- I told David that, to, you know, and, uh, you know, waited for the right moment, the right time or whatever, you know. <laughs> There's never a right moment to tell my wife I got 150, $159 for not using a turn signal changing lanes. I mean, he told me that's all it was for. for t- so Anyway. When I told her that, you know, she was bothered about the $159 I was going to have to spend, but she also said, you know, this is the way it started before. She said, it's just like one thing started, and then it just started rolling and rolling and rolling. That's the way. We went through one of those eras in, you know, in our kids' lives. Well, you know, and that kind of slowed down just a little bit. Then we, uh, you know, it was, it was the period in our kids' lives of college and career, which meant in our lives the empty nest. And you know where the empty nest was? It wasn't down the street. It was 10 hours away in Dallas-Fort Worth. That was a big empty nest to be 10 hours away from your little birds that you had raised and every other family member that you had. That was, that's tough some days, you know? Not long after that, Kristen got married. Uh, two years ago, Brent got married and brought into the family two new family members, in laws. And you know what? It's never easy to add new members to the family. But, you know, when it's a baby that's born, you kind of get to fix them yourself or you mess them up yourself. But when, when, when your babies bring in in-laws, you know what? They're, they're 18, 20, 25 years old. They're already messed up, and it's hard to fix them, right? I mean, it's tough sometimes, amen? And I'm saying this because I hope it helps some of you just realize, you know, you can't fix it. You know, you've messed yours up. You know, now you're taking on somebody else's that they've messed up as well, okay? You just understand it's, it's a two-way street or whatever. And no matter how good they are, it's tough. I mean, there's changes that take place in the family. Even when they're as good as the son-in-law Bradley and the daughter-in-law Chris, uh, Lauren that God has blessed us with, it's still change. And then a little over three years ago, we had our granddaughter Brooklyn was born. A little over a year ago, our grandson Colin was born. In about four months, we're going to welcome Macy, another granddaughter, into the family, Brent's, Brent's first child. Change. Change. And so, you know what? It looks like I'm, man, I am, I am fully behind the statement, Isaac, no, but I'm not. Because he said the only constant is change. I know another constant. I know something else that through all of the change in my life has remained constant. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Praise God. And, you know, in those early days when we didn't have enough money, guess what? He was the same God. In the days when we had enough to pay all the bills, He was the same God. You know, in the, in the days when our kids were, were, were well, He was a good God. But guess what? When they were sick, he was the same God. In the days when I felt like I, I didn't even know that I needed God to help me with anything that day, He was the same God as the day when I knew I was at the very bottom and if God didn't help me, He was the same God. He was on the throne when when everything was fine and He was on the throne when everything was a mess. He, he is, he, he's been on the throne every, every day when... when, when David and I have had good days together. He's been the same God as when we've had bad days together. He's been the same God. He is always the same. No matter what change goes through your life, He will always be the same. I'm looking at some faces of some people I know. And I know some junk you've been through and some horrible stuff you've been through. And I bet you're learning the same thing I've learned. There is another constant besides change. And the constant is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Go ahead, give Him a praise. Amen. Give him a praise. Oh, man. Oh, man. See, this is why this is going to be more than one sermon. I just throw this at you. That's why all this change stuff and all this, all this, all this, these oxymorons in the scripture seems like that just can't. It's just trying so hard to explain. That's why it's gotten me believing in another oxymoron. Expecting the unexpected. You know, I've come to realize that my way doesn't always work. I've come to realize that when I ask God to do something awesome for me, he's probably going to do it in a way I don't expect. But that's okay. I've come to expect that. And I expect the unexpected. If if you're only good with what you expect, man, you ain't going to get much from God. Because you've already got your plans down here, and God's just so much bigger than your plans. I mean, he, he says, my thoughts, my ways... They're so much higher than your thoughts and your ways. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us this. It says, he is the one who can do infinitely more than all we can ask or imagine. Infinitely more than all we can ask or imagine. Now, how many? I can imagine a lot of stuff, can't you? But he says, he can do infinitely more than all we can ask for or imagine. So think about it. Uh, here you start with what you can ask, right? Okay, what can you ask for? I can ask for this. Uh, you know, but wait a minute, I can imagine even more than that. So I can imagine up here. But he's able to do even more than I can imagine. But he's able to do infinitely more than that. He's able to do infinitely more than I can imagine. And so if you need something from God today, don't tie it down to your little puny human words. Understand that he is bigger than anything you and I can Describe and he is bigger than anything you and I can pray for. He can do things that you and I can't, we can't say it in our words, and we can't even imagine all the things that God is capable of doing. You know, it, it says in the, in the King James, it says it this way, and I, I like how the King James writes it also, exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Here, here's, here's what it is. Think about this. This is what Paul is doing. Paul is writing this. And he said, here's, here's the way God, I don't know how to describe this to you, Paul is saying, He said, I want to tell you how good God is and how much God can do for your life. I don't even know how, but uh, it's exceeding. Uh, That's not enough. It's abundant. Uh, That's not enough. It's above all of that. I mean, it's like he can't describe it. And he says it's exceeding abundantly above all of that God can do for you. And you need to start expecting the unexpected in your life. Now, this is the intermission. We're going to take a seven-day break. And come back for part B. Here's the good part of this. You know what you do in intermission? We went to a show the other night. And you know, there was an intermission. You, know, you, you get to kind of take care of yourself. You can go you know, get another bag of popcorn or whatever it is you need to do. That's what you get to do because, you know, I did not even talked about the vision of the church and where the church is going next yet. I believe, I believe this seven-day break in this message was God-ordained. Because God wants to tell you, okay, for the next seven days you get to pray for you, We're going to talk about expecting the unexpected for the church next Sunday But for the next seven days God is saying I want you to expect the unexpected in your life I want you to expect the unexpected in your marriage and God is saying I want you to pray for me to do the unexpected in your finances In your own finances Not the church yet, your finances And so for seven days God is saying I want you to personally expect me to do the unexpected Would you turn to somebody beside you and say Expect the unexpected Stand with me, let's come to the front Let's close this this morning Jesus I got one more little thing to tell you Press on in, let's get everybody in the, This front prayer area if we can Don't leave anybody back in the In the aisles The, who needs some unexpected in their Are you listening to me? I started I, I started to finish up. I thought, no, nah, I don't think everybody's listening yet. I want everybody to hear this. Who needs some unexpected in their lives this week? Raise your hand. Prayer team standing right here. Get ready, prayer team. Listen. We've only got about, man, we just got a handful of prayer team members. We, we need, we need a, that's a team that definitely needs some additions to it. I mean, we ain't got many people to help you pray. So, so, man, as soon as we start here, you need to get on down here and let somebody pray. If you said, I need some unexpected this week. These people right here believe in the God that does the unexpected. They believe in that exceedingly, abundantly, above all God. You need to come let somebody pray for you this morning and believe with you for that. I got, one, I got one last thing I want to share with you. One last thing. I want to, and, and, you know, this was really, I was really building this because this is where God was going with the church. And, and God just stopped us right here and said, no, 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 to take a seven-day break. Look right here, one, one, one last little thing. Our next great opportunity is always on the other side of doing what is needed right now. Some of you know exactly what you need to do right now in your life. And your next great opportunity, your next unexpected miracle in your life that next unexpected thing it's on the other side of doing what you need to do that you already know to do and let's tell you here's what happens is a lot of us that thing becomes a wall and we never get to the unexpected because we've got a wall you know and I could use a lot of illustrations but I'll use this one because it's easiest to understand and I don't want everybody to just think about finances here but you know if you need a financial miracle you know and you're not and you're robbing God that's what Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says you're robbing God, you're stealing from God, you're, you're, you don't pay your tithes. That's a wall that, and you're saying, man, I gotta get over there, but I'm not paying my uh, that God says that ten, tenth belongs to me, okay? Now, I don't, don't see this as a just a tithe message. Please don't throw everything you've heard away. But understand this, if you if you want that miracle over there, you can't get there because you got this wall. But you know, you know what's different about the people who are always getting over there to that unexpected? You know what's different about those people who are always getting over there to that miracle you know what's different about them is they don't see the wall they see the door in the wall because God said in, in every temptation in every trial and everything that you and I face you know what he said he would always do he will make a way of escape in that door whatever door whatever I'm sorry in that wall whatever wall is between you and your next thing God has put a door there what you need to do is you need to embrace the door quit looking at the wall Quit looking at the big thing and so when God says here's the thing you need to be doing I mean, you know, if you're a recovering alcoholic, God might be saying, you need to quit hanging out with a bunch of drunks. And if you're not willing to do that, guess what? They become your wall. And God, God's telling you, here's the door. Is shut down the relationship with those drugs. And when you step through that door, boom, you're on the other side, ready to receive what you need. You need to stop looking at the wall and embrace the door. Bow with me. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing to finish prayer. Bow with me. Let's pray.